Again, this is Jonah 1, verses 4 through 16. It says this. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him, uh, came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us a, a, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Awesome. Thanks, John. Thanks for teaching us how to use our cell phones. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. How are you? Good. It's good to be with you guys this morning. For those of you who are maybe brand new, my name is Josh Knight, uh, pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace. And yeah, it's exciting. It's an exciting season for us here at Flourishing Grace. It's been a great summer, so many good things, and it's kind of coming to an end, right? School starting back up this week, and John just announced right, Sunday in the park, which is like kind of that turning point for us every year, um, where, where we kind of say, oh yeah, summer, summer's over and fall begins, right? And so we're, we're so excited to, to gather in the park, to eat delicious food, play games, and to just worship together uh, outside. And so let's be praying, praying for good weather and, and an amazing time. Uh, as John said, we are in, we're in this work, Jonah. And last Sunday, as we began, I tried to kind of spend time setting the context for Jonah. And we kind of backed way up and talked about Jonah as a younger man and where he's from and where he grew up and, and what, what, where God has called him. And we talked about the Ninevites and who they are, right? Nineveh, this capital city of the Assyrian Empire, these, these bad dudes, and, and God calls Jonah to go preach the gospel of grace and goodness to them, to call them to repentance, all right? And Jonah says, no way, like, I don't want to be a part of that. I, I, these people don't deserve your grace. They don't deserve your love. They don't, they don't deserve mercy, right? I, I, Jonah wants 
hellfire and brimstone. Jo- Jonah wants plagues. He wants the wrath of God to be poured out on them. And he's like, I'm not going to, I don't want to be a part of grace and kindness towards them. And God says, no, 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 I want you to go. And Jonah says, no. And what we saw last week, and what we're going to see again and again and again through this book, is the story of a relentless pursuit of God towards those who don't deserve to be pursued at all. Not just the Ninevites, but Jonah. And not just Jonah, but you and I. And this morning in our story, we're going to be introduced to some new characters, these these sailors. And we're going to see God's pursuit of them and God's pursuit of Jonah as he tries to awaken them. And so here's what I want to do. I know John already prayed, but I want to pray for you. Um, In fact, I want to invite you to pray in this moment. So would you just bow your heads for me real quick and let's pray. Would you just ask the Holy Spirit this morning to illuminate this text? God has a word for you this morning. Every time we open his word, he has a word for us. He has a word for you this morning. Would you ask him to reveal that to you, to show you, to open your eyes? Holy Spirit, teach us. Show us your word. Awaken us this morning. I pray these things in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Jonah says, I'm not going to Nineveh. There's no way, no how. So what's Jonah do? He flees. He gets on a boat and he goes to a place called Tarshish. Or at least that's the plan, right? He gets on the boat to go to Tarshish, right? 2,500 miles away. That's how long this journey is in this boat. And he pays the great fare. And they say, well, what? why do you want to go to Tarshish? He's like, I'm just trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, right? And these sailors are like... Okay, well, we'll take your money. It doesn't matter to us. Like, get in the boat. All right, so he gets in the boat, and they begin to sail to Tarshish. And they hear, right out of the gate, God says, nope, that's not going to happen. Right? We see right out of the gate, the Lord hurls a huge windstorm on the sea. This massive storm. And we know it's a massive storm. We know it's not an average, everyday storm. Right? Because of the reaction of the sailors. You've got to realize this is thousands and thousands of years ago, okay? And these sailors are long-haul sailors, okay? Which means that they live at sea. They spend their lives on the open water. They've seen it all. Like, these are the guys that come back to town with, like, stories of sea urchins and sea monsters and, like, because they've seen these creepy things. I don't know if you ever watched Planet Earth, the things that are, like, way down there. Right? These guys have seen it. And they come back with those stories because they just live on the ocean, And they've seen every storm, and they've seen every weird thing, and every weird cloud formation. They've seen it all, but this is unlike anything they've ever seen, right? And we know this because of their reaction. Each one is crying out to their God. These are pagan sailors, right? These are, you know, sailors aren't typically religious men, okay? And there's there's not. I guess... I'm not, I don't know if there's any sailors in the room, but let's just be real. They're just not, okay? Right? But all of a sudden, they're begging God. Man, if you're real, I need you now, this moment, right now. And if his God's real, man, we need you too. Like, if anybody will save us, right? Their boat is breaking apart. This is a violent. You got to just pick your, I don't know if you have, anybody else ever go to, go to, to Lagoon and ride the Samurai? Okay, yeah, that ride is just violent. It's just violence. It just does violence to your body. That's all it is. It's not fun. There's nothing fun about it, right? Uh, I just picture these guys like just getting 
just whipped around by these waves and just like violence being done to them and just in fear crying out to God and, and grabbing every rope and every line and every oar just trying to survive. It says that they're throwing the cargo over the ship saying, man, I don't care, right? No cargo, no paycheck. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Like I just want to survive. And what's happening in this is that God is beginning to do a work in them. These cold, hardened, roughneck sailors are being awakened. Just a little bit, just a little bit. They're being awakened. God is beginning to awaken them spiritually. But who is not awake in the storm? Who, who's actually, literally sleeping in the storm? Jonah. Jonah is spiritually asleep, but he's also actually sleeping, right? We see in verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah is checked out. He, I don't know how you sleep through this. I don't know how hardened sailors are terrified for their lives and you're just snoozing away, but Jonah's snoozing away. God is awakening these sailors, but Jonah wants nothing to do with it. He's free. He's fleeing from the presence of of the Lord. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that God awakens us through the storms. God awakens us through the storms. We see this again and again and again and again in, in Scripture, but we also see it in our lives. We've seen this in our own lives. Many of you in this room, you've come through storms, and God has done a great work in your life through the storms in your life. God awakens us. He uses violence. He uses pain. He uses sorrow. He uses anxiety to, to awaken us. Martin Luther, the great reformer 500 years ago, uh, Luther called this, this, this behavior, this action, he called it an alien work of the Lord or a strange work of God. Right? This is strange, right? We see God in Scripture, a loving and merciful and kind, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Right? Last Sunday we saw that. Jonah is the one who's the curmudgeon. Jonah's the one who says, I just want to kill them all. Right? That's Jonah. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love. Go to Nineveh. Preach repentance. I can save them. But this same God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, the same God who loves you so much to send his own son to die in your place and in mine, at times wields violence, wields storms, wields sorrow in order to awake us. Awake us to his love for us. Awake us to his affection for us. Awake us to his pursuit of us. Many of you have experienced this. My good friend Tim Dolan, who's here at Flourishing Grace, he was at our last gathering. He might be around here someplace too. Uh, he likes to double dip. He goes to both the gatherings. Uh, Tim, Tim served our country in Iraq. Um, and Tim's story, like before he goes to Iraq, Tim had grown up in the Catholic Church and just was not awake to the Lord, right? Just kind of grew up asleep in the boat. Um, and it wasn't until Tim was in Iraq and uh, he had served in combat before and was, was used to combat. And he got into a, a situation where they were in a place where they weren't supposed to be, um, and there began, uh, missiles began to kind of rain down on, on their location. And they could hear the missiles coming, and they're like, oh, that's going to be, 
That's going to be closer than normal, right? Normally, Tim, the way Tim tells the story, he's like, normally it's just not that big of a deal. You hear missiles flying over you all the time. It's like, wait, what? Like, no, no, no. He's like, but this time you can hear, just tell by the sound of the missiles, these are going to be close. And so Tim crawls underneath a vehicle and kind of puts his head down. And there's one missile in particular that he can hear coming. And it's getting closer and closer and closer. And he realizes, oh, this one's close. Like, too close. Like, way too close. And he begins in the last few seconds of the moment, right before this missile hit, he just cries to the God, whatever, if you get me out of this, whatever you want, I'm yours. That's it. Anything? And the missile bounces from me to the front row, bounces off the pavement. And explodes somewhere around the back of the room. Tim's like, I'm awake now. I'm awake. You got me. I'm awakened. Okay. And so Tim gets back to base. And for the first time in his life, he goes to a non-denominational Christian gathering. And he sees these men, these hardened soldiers crying out to God. And for the first time, he's, he's awakened to the love of God in his life. He says, I'm, I'm ruined for anything less than that. Like, this is what I want for the rest of my life. I want to know that God. I want to pursue that God. I want to f- discover the love of that God. And Tim's been pursuing him ever since. God awakened Tim through violence. It's a strange work. It's a strange act of God. It's not lost on me that some of you in this room this morning, some of you are in here because God has begun to awaken you through a storm. You are where the sailors were. You're just crying out to any God. Like, you, know, you don't know why you're here, but you're like, this is, I need somebody to save me from this. And so you, you came this morning because you, you don't know what else to do. You have no other solution. So you're like, man, may, maybe, maybe, maybe if I could go to church, God, God will save me from this. It's not lost on me that some of us in the room this morning are just in sorrow, in pain. Some of us in the room have, have lost Children of lost loved ones. Some of us in the room have received a phone call from the doctor in the past few weeks, and there's no cure for what you have. You've lost your job. Your spouse has walked out, and you don't know if they're coming back. And right now, in this moment, you are in the middle of a storm, and you've grown afraid. And that's why you're here. You're just afraid. You're afraid of what comes next. You're afraid of the next doctor's appointment. You don't know where to turn. There's just a sense of hopelessness, and there's no way out. My hope this morning for you is that God would begin to shift your fear. That God would begin to shift your fear, because that's what he does in the story. That's what God does in the story with the sailors. He shifts their fear, right? The sailors are afraid of the wind and the waves. They're afraid of the boat breaking apart. And so they're doing everything they can. The captain goes down into the ship and he finds Jonah asleep. He's like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, how are you doing? Get up, grab an oar, grab a line, do anything. Pray to your God. You don't know how to sail. It's fine. Pray to your God. Maybe your God will give us a word. Like, anything and then the men begin to think, whoa, 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 this is clearly, this is not normal. Like, this is not a normal storm. Like, God is clearly angry with somebody. And so they cast lots. They roll dice to figure out, okay, who's God angry with? And the dice fall on Jonah. It lands on Jonah. And so they bring Jonah up. Now, remember, this is violence. This storm is ripping the boat apart. And so they're just being tossed everywhere. And they're like, who are you? 
where are you from? What do you do? What's your occupation? Like, tell us more. Like, we know that you got on this boat because you run away from God. Who, who, what? Tell us. What's going on? And Jonah's response, Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I picture this like a movie, like all these guys are just doing everything that sailors are supposed to be doing when they're about to die. Like they're grabbing lines and they're rowing the oars and all of a sudden Jonah says this and everybody just drops what they're doing. They're like, wait, what? You're who? I'm a Hebrew. No, no, yeah, yeah but, but who's your God? He's the God of heaven. I know, okay, yeah, but what did he do? He made the sea and the dry land. Wait, your God made the sea. Yeah, and you're running from him. Yeah. All right, fellas, mystery solved. Uh, we know what's happening. The God who made the sea, you're running from him. Okay, all right. And all of a sudden, I want you to see what happens in the very next line. This is verse 10. As soon as Jonah speaks those words, verse 10 says, The men were exceedingly afraid. If you, if you, if you watch the language in the story, when God hurls the wind, it says the sailors were afraid. But when Jonah speaks these words, it says the men were exceedingly afraid. Their fear shifts. They're no longer, it's not the, the wind and the waves and the crashing of the boat. That was their greatest fear. But now they have a greater fear. And I believe that in order for your pain, your, your story, the violence, the sorrow, all of that, in order for it to be meaningful... Your fear must shift. That's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Fear must shift. It must shift. In the middle of the most violent storm, in the greatest hour of pain, in the dark night of the soul, what we need is a greater fear. A greater fear. Fear must shift from the thing of creation to the creator of of the thing. So I don't know what it is for you. I, I, I don't know if it's, if it's little missiles flying in at you, but suddenly, I'm not afraid of the missile. I'm afraid of the one who can actually control the missile. If it's cancer, I'm not, okay, a cancer, yeah, it's scary, but there's a God who's sovereign over every cell in my body, every atom, Every proton, every neutron, every molecule, he has formed it. He has made it, and he is sovereign over it. He controls it. He controls the wind and the waves. He controls my future. He holds my career and my job in the palm of his hand. My marriage and my kids, he is sovereign over that. And it's his will, not mine. At any moment, he can do whatever he wants. He's a God of infinite power and infinite might and infinite control. And even if, even if it, the, the storm wins, if cancer wins, if, if the missile takes me out, my eyes close in death and they awaken to him, the one who is in control, the one who is sovereign over it all, the one who has the power over it, they awaken to the one who is worthy of greater fear. He's worthy of greater fear. And when I say fear, I don't mean like I'm afraid of God. Oh, he might jump out and get me. That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about complete awe, reverence, total submission, total respect, because he's greater than all things, more powerful than all things. 
And so in every area of my life, I say, what am I afraid of? And how is he greater than that thing? And my fear shifts. And now, now the sailors are actually awakened. Now they're like, okay, there is a God who is greater than the wind and the waves. There is a God who is greater than all these things. And they haven't yet experienced the love of that God, but they're going to. Our fear must shift. The fear of the Lord is a healthy thing because he's greater than all of our fears. He's sovereign over all of our fears. And he's good, he's holy, he's loving, he's kind, and he's worthy to be feared. The sailors are now awake. Jonah has been awakened from his sleep, but spiritually, Jonah is still asleep. Jonah's still completely oblivious to this, right? Who in the story has no fear of the Lord? Jonah. Jonah's not sleeping comfortably because he's like totally just comfortable and he just trusts God. That's not why he's sleeping comfortably. Jonah doesn't give a rip. He doesn't care. He's completely apathetic to the entire situation. We're going to see in a few minutes that Jonah just says, hey, why don't you guys just kill me? I don't want to keep living anymore. I just don't want to. I just want to die. Like, who cares? He just gives up on life. He's given up on life. He's given up on living. He, he's completely apathetic. No fear of God. No fear of the storm. Just whatever. Jonah is still spiritually asleep. And God, I said at the beginning of all this, God is trying to awaken the sailors. He's trying to awaken the Ninevites. But he's also trying to awaken Jonah. And Jonah's still asleep. How do we awaken the Jonah? You see, the reality is, is that some of you in the room this morning, I said, you're in the middle of the storm right now. It's a painful season of life for you. But most of you, most of you, probably not. Maybe you just came out of the storm. Maybe, maybe you see one on the horizon. Or maybe you're just like, life's pretty good right now. Just landed a new job. Got, got, a, got a big paycheck. I'm like, so it's awesome. And like, pretty comfortable. Like, my marriage is in a pretty good place. And like my kids are healthy, and I don't know, I mean, life's pretty good. Like, sailing's pretty smooth right now. That's the majority of us in the room, and I'm just wondering how many of us have actually maybe even lulled to sleep in the bottom of our boat by the comfort of calm seas. How many of us might identify more with Jonah than with the sailors? Just kind of going through the motions of life, not really spiritually awake to anything, you know, I go to church, I read my Bible, I do the thing, the kids are in the, in the church, kids' ministry, and, you know, but life, life's good, like we're just comfortable, like life's good. I began to wonder this week, what would have happened if Jonah would have feared the Lord from like the beginning of the story? From like the beginning all of all of this, like Jonah would have had a healthy fear of the Lord. Like if, if verse 1, chapter 1 was like Jonah, a mighty prophet of God who feared the Lord, like what would, how would the story be different if God shows up to that guy and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach repentance and grace to them. If somebody who had a healthy fear of the Lord heard that, what would, how would that be different? Jonah's mind would be blown away. Wait, you want me to do what? The sovereign God of all things wants to use me to go to Nineveh to bring grace and kindness and love to those people who don't deserve it? What? I mean, I'm not worthy of that, but I'm in. Like, I'm on the next camel to Nineveh. Let's go. Like, I'm out. Like, my bags are packed. 
there'd have been this healthy, just delighting in the grace and the kindness and mercy of God. This healthy, like, just, oh, God would use me in that way. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us in the room have fallen asleep and lulled asleep to the reality that God is doing the same thing in your life. He's called you. He's laid a calling on your life. If you're here this morning, he's laid a calling on your life. If you're here this morning, he's sovereign over where you are. He's sovereign over every square inch of your life. I know you think that you moved here because you got that sweet job. I know you moved here because you think, man, the skiing's awesome and that's what I want to do. I, I don't know. I don't know how you got tricked into moving to Utah. God tricked me into moving to Utah. Eight years ago, I came here, and he dangled these shiny mountains in front of me. He's like, look, shiny things. I'm like, that's beautiful. Let's move here. Next thing I know, here I am. What is this place? God knew what he was doing. He knew exactly where he was doing. He knew exactly where he was calling me, where he was wooing me, where he was pursuing me, and exactly to who he was wooing me and to who he was pursuing me. Right? God has placed me right here, and he's placed you right here. Your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers are just like the Ninevites. And he says, I, the goodness and the mercy of God is in you. And he, he wants you to take it to them. He's like, it's right here. I just wonder how many of us have fallen asleep to that. What would it look like at Flourishing Grace if we were awakened to that? Awakened to the reality that God is sovereign over your work. He's sovereign over your office. And it's not a mistake that the person next to you doesn't know him. And the cubicle or the office next to you, they don't know him. It's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence that your neighbor keeps asking you questions like, so, wait, you believe what? Like, what's your church doing on Sunday again? Like, what are you, what are you guys talking about? Like, what kind of, what kind of music do you guys play? Right? It's not a coincidence. They're curious about what God is doing in you. And I wonder what would happen if we just lived more awake to that. Rather than being spiritually asleep in the bottom of a boat while everything's happening around us, while God's doing all this work around us, that we were like, oh my gosh, like he's using me too. He's calling me too. I'm in this too. Over here on this wall, this is our praying for one wall. There's there's well over 100 names on that wall, but there's still plenty of space left. And what this is on this wall, these are people that God has awakened us to. We pray this prayer at Flourishing Grace. We say, God, would you give me one person in my life, one person that doesn't know you, that you're calling me to? Would you awaken me to one? Would you awaken me to one person? Would you show me, teach me, show me where they are, show me who they are, the person that you are wooing and pursuing, that you're calling me to invest my life into? One person. And this is people who live here. They live locally. You see them at least minimum once a month, hopefully once a week, maybe even every day at your office or, or whatever. Maybe they're, maybe, they're, maybe they're parents of your friend's kids or whatever it may be, a coworker. Some of you just met along the way at the gym. This is a person that you're invested in. This is not my great Aunt Sue from Nebraska. No, okay? Don't write that name on the wall. Bless your Aunt Sue, but no, okay? This is somebody locally that God has awakened you to. And we begin to pray for them every day. We just commit. Every day, God, would you help me? Would you, would you help me to live awake to their need for a Savior? Would you help me to engage in that need? Would you send me? Would you send me? 
Would you create moments and space and time in my day where I can engage in spiritual conversations with them? And would you awaken them to your love for them? And every day we pray for them. And yet, the reality is, we get lulled to sleep. We kind of forget to do that. And a few days turns into a few weeks, and a few weeks turns into a few months. Here's what I want to do for those of you who are in the room who would say, man, maybe I'm just... I just kind of got lulled to sleep in my comfort. Uh, John talked about this earlier. In one month, September 14th, we're starting a new thing here at Flourishing Grace that we call the table, right? Well, we're just going to get together every Wednesday night. We're going to bring our own dinner. So dust off the crock pot, whatever you got to do. Stop at McDonald's. I don't care. I'm not going to judge you, right? I know. You got to get off work. You got to get here, right? But we're just going to grab some dinner. We're going to meet here. We're going to eat together. We're just going to hang out. We're just going to just about a time of like fun and fellowship. I don't know, maybe play a game or something. Just hang out for a little bit. Let our kids play. And then we're going to send the kids off to the kids midweek. And then we're just going to study through the book of Romans together right here. And my hope is, my prayer is, is that this would be a time for us, right, as a church, to just grow in our love, to be awakened to God. But I want you to hear this, this morning, it's not just for you. It's for you, one. I want you to begin to pray every day that God would give you opportunities to invite your one to the table. Come hang out. Let's have some fun. Bring your kids. It'll be great. You want to study through the book of Romans with me? Listen, when I was in Chicago, if I'd have asked what some of my friends that you want to study through the book of Romans with me, they'd be like, no, let's go to the bar. Um, but here in Utah, suddenly my neighbors are like into that. They're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's study through the book of Romans. I'm like, all right, sweet, let's go. Right? So this is an easy ask. It's an easy invite. But I want to ask you to do this morning is this. I want you to begin to pray every single day for opportunities to invite your one to the table. Now, if you're like me, you need an alarm clock. You need a reminder. My wife will tell you, I need several alarm clocks every morning. It's a joke in my house how many alarm clocks I have just to get me out of bed, okay? You fall asleep. You forget this. And so if you want a reminder every day for the next 30 days between now and September 14th, August 14th and September 14th, you can text um, PRAY1, it's all one word, PRAY1 to 97000. PRAY1 to 97. And my hope is that all of us would do this. That we would just be like, yeah, I know. I need that. I need a reminder every day. And that's all it is. Every day you'll get a little reminder that says, hey, don't forget, pray for your one. That they would come, that they would engage at the table, that they would come and, and participate in the study in Romans, that they would come and just have a desire to, to learn more about God and to engage in community. That God would awaken them to his love and his affection for them through the ministry of flourishing grace. And so you can text to 97000, just text pray one, and you'll get a reminder every single day. Let's live awake, spiritually awake. And I'll tell you, that's a dangerous prayer. God, awaken me to what you're doing in my life. Awaken my one to what you're doing in my life. Often, he uses storms to do that thing whatever he ends up doing in your life. I can't wait to see what it is. All right, Jonah, the, sto- the story, the, the, the sailors have been awakened, right? Spiritually awakened, literally awakened. Jonah's awake now, right? They, they've asked Jonah, who are you? He's like, man, I've worshiped God. They're like, oh my goodness. So they do the thing they should do, the thing that's logical in their brain. They're like, okay, so you are the man of God, the God who is doing this. Let's ask him, what should we do? They ask Jonah, what, are you, what do you think we should do? Jonah's like, I got a great idea, fellas. Murder me. Just kill me. They're like, 
what? No. Like, no. Like, this is your God doing this. What do you think that he's going to do to us? Right? You're, you're running from him. If we help in that, like, what do you think he's going to do? And so they grab their oars and they try to just row to dry ground as fast as they can. And God just holds the boat in place. He's like, no, no. And finally, they, just, they come to the end of themselves, the absolute end of themselves. They say, all right, and they just beg God, please forgive us. Please don't hold this man's blood on us. Please. And they grab Jonah and they throw him into this sea. And the wind stops. Jonah is gone. And so is the wind. The wind has stopped. And it says the men are actually even more afraid than they were before. It's all confirmed. Their faith is full. They, they, they realize that God commands the wind and the waves. And so they offer sacrifices to the God of the Bible. They make vows to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They bow before him. And they say, you are the only one and true worthy God, and we will worship you and you alone. They become followers of Yahweh, they are saved, they are redeemed. God snatches them out of darkness and brings them into the kingdom of his marvelous light. God rescues the sailors. And Jonah, through the whole thing, is absolutely useless. He's just useless. In fact, through the entire story, Jonah's just useless. I mean, he's just the most useless man in the Bible. It's like again and again and again and again. He does nothing for them. And what we need right now in this storm, in this moment, in your life, what your one needs is a greater Jonah. And the good news is that we have one. His name is Jesus. If you were here last Sunday, I said the whole thing, the whole work of Jonah is laid over the story of Jesus. Again and again and again. Every moment is a moment in the life of Jesus. And I want to show you this morning real quick as we begin to bring this to a close, a story in the life of Jesus. It's, there's, it's written in several places, but I'm going to read it to you from Mark. Mark 4, 36 through 41. It reads this way. And leaving the crowd, they, the disciples, they took him, Jesus, with them in a boat. Jesus and his disciples, they get in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them in a great windstorm. What kind of storm? windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat and the boat was already filling but he jesus he was asleep he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him saying teacher do you not care that we're all dying we're perishing and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You guys see any similarities between the two stories? A couple, one or two. <laughs> you guys are smart. I know you see it. It's the whole thing. The whole thing, there's, there's, they get into a boat, they go out on the sea, you've got experienced sailors, you've got experienced fishermen, they get in a boat together, they go out on the sea, and a storm so big, a windstorm so big, that it terrifies them. The experienced sailors, the experienced fishermen, they're like, I've never seen anything like this. 
a massive storm. And the man of God, in quotes, air quotes in, in, in Jonah's case, the man of God is asleep in the boat in the middle of a storm. How many of you know anybody who could sleep through a violent storm in a boat? I don't know anybody that could do that. It's not a coincidence. This is purposeful. Jonah's asleep in the boat. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Both the disciples and the, and the sailors, they wake them up. Don't you care that we're going to die? Like, what are you doing? Both of them get up, and God calms the storm. See, the wind ceases. And both the sailors and the disciples in that moment are even more afraid. Afraid a right and righteous and healthy fear of God has overcome an unhealthy fear of the wind and the waves. They have a greater fear. Their fear has shifted. But there's one difference. One difference. Jonah is willingly thrown into the sea for the sake of the other men. It's like, I must die if you're going to live. That, that's what happens. But not in Mark's story. Unless there's more to the story. Unless Mark's story doesn't end there in Mark chapter 4, verse 41. Unless there's more to the story of Jesus. And we know that there is. You see, Jesus knows that later on he's going to be thrown willingly, just like Jonah, into the storm. He's going to be thrown into a greater storm. He's going to be thrown into the greatest storm that has ever been. The storm of sin, the storm of death, and he's going to calm that storm. The storm that has wreaked havoc on every area of your life. The storm that is the source of every ounce of your pain and every ounce of your suffering and every ounce of your anxiety and your stress. Jesus is going to be willingly thrown in that storm. and He's going to calm that storm through his death. He's going to bring an end to all storms one day. One day, there will be no more tears, there will be no more mourning, there will be no more weeping, because he's calmed every storm in every heart, in every mind. He silenced the storm by his death. His death has conquered the greatest storm, the storm of justice. And you, if you are in Christ, if you're in that boat, you have been set free. You have been made just, and you have been made righteous by the only one who could calm that storm. And Jesus goes into the tomb, and three days later, he walks out victorious over it all. Jonah goes into the whale, and three days later comes out of the whale. This is not a coincidence. This is not some story. This is the work of God. It's been orchestrated to awaken you to his love for you, to his relentless pursuit of you. And my prayer is this morning, my hope is this morning, that you will leave here awakened. Or at least you'll leave here crying to God, awaken me. Show me what I'm missing. Show me the areas of sin in my life. Show me where I'm falling short. Awaken me to a greater love and affection for you. And awaken me to your love and affection for me. Let's be people live awake to the work of our God and fear Him rightly in a healthy way every moment of every day in the midst of every single storm. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we come before you and we acknowledge that you are the greater Jonah. The one who can actually save to the uttermost. The one who can actually rescue. The one who can actually redeem 
from the full effects of sin. The one who has calmed the greatest storm, brought peace to the greatest tempest and waves. And this morning we put our hope and our trust in you. And I pray specifically for the people in this room who have not done that, who have not put their trust in you, who have not treasured you above all things, who have not thrust their life upon you, who have not gotten into that boat and said, I am yours no matter what, in every storm, in every season of peace, in every season of calm, in every season of goodness, I'm yours. Keep me awake. I want to be with you every moment of every day. Keep me awake. I want to be yours. You are, you are my God. You are my king. Would you awaken us this morning? Would you stir our affections for you? Would you stir our desires for you? Would we cling to you as our only true hope in the midst of the storm, knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us? We trust you. We praise you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Flourishing grace. Let's stand. Let's sing one last song. Let's declare that in this place this morning with our voices over one another.